We've talked often on this podcast about this idea of a default normal, and we long for our life and the lives of those around us to fall into that place of normalcy. And when it doesn't, we struggle, we resist, or we avoid. This tendency presents itself in a consistently stark way when it comes to disabilities. Because even in understanding them as disabilities, we are putting a high value on our understanding of default abilities. And so when we or someone we know or someone we interact with is not abled in the way that we assume they should be, we struggle. This is what our guest Colleen and her husband had to navigate. They were filled with excitement at the birth of their daughter and all that could mean for her life and their lives until suddenly it became clear that something was going on with their daughter. And as Colleen received diagnosis after diagnosis, she began to grieve the things that could now never be. However, God wanted to show her something different. God wanted Colleen to see her daughter as he saw her. And instead of seeing her situation as one to lament, God wanted her to consider that her daughter might actually be blessed. You're listening to episode 161 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for these conversations that you're bringing about and just the reality that there's so much you want to communicate to us if we're willing to listen. So right now, Colleen and I just want to acknowledge that we're here and we're ready for you to speak through us or even to us. And so we want to submit everything to you, our words, our thoughts, because we want whatever it is you have in mind to be what comes through. We want you to be honored and glorified. So we give you this time, we give you this space, and we thank you in advance for how we believe you will work here and beyond. I'll just pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Colleen, I'm, I'm excited that we're able to talk and connect. And there's just so much about your story that I'm really glad that we're going to get to talk about. But before we jump in, for those that are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Hi, everybody. My name is Colleen Fall. I am a wife and mother of two beautiful, rambunctious young toddlers. One of them is blessed with special needs. Her name is Grace. And it was in the process of finding out about all of her medical conditions that was what inspired me to write a children's book, which is what kind of led me to Paul. So that's pretty much all you really need to know about me is that I've got two kids, special needs. I'm a children's book author. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And out the gate, you've already said something that there are a number of people that if they were honest would say, I don't know what to do with that because mm -hmm. you said blessed with special needs, right? Which mm -hmm. there's this mentality that a lot of people have that special needs isn't a blessing or it's something to be upset about, or mm -hmm. it's something to avoid, or it's right, like all these things. And so now you said it authentically and genuinely. Yeah. And so I think this is part of why I'm excited for this conversation, because so much of the conversations I've had keep hitting this point of a perspective shift. Mm -hmm. We see life in reality one way, and then there's an invitation to see it how God sees it. So I'd love to just jump right into your story, because I imagine that's part of your story of it a is. perspective shift. Yes. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes. So I think a good place to start is with my daughter. My daughter, Grace, when she was born, we didn't know of any medical issues that she had. As far as we knew, she was a healthy baby girl. 
But as the months started going by, she was slow to reach milestones, which had me kind of concerned, but not really. We noticed in particular that her eyes were not focusing. And that just made me think that, oh, she probably has bad vision. And that didn't bother me too much because I have bad vision. I wear contacts. My mom has a lazy eye. All the women in my husband's side of the family need contacts. So it kind of just runs in the family. And so it wasn't a surprise. And I figured, oh, well, when she gets older, she'll just need glasses. And she's slow to meet these milestones, things like reaching for things, probably because she can't see them. So I took her to a couple of ophthalmologists and they told us that that's probably what was happening. And so I wasn't too concerned about it at first. Right when she got to about almost five months old, I was still getting a little bit more concerned that there wasn't any improvement at all. She had kind of reached a standstill Hmm. at the beginning of five months old. And I was telling her pediatrician that just to rule everything else out, can we have her looked at by a neurologist just to find out and make sure that there's nothing else going on? And her pediatrician was not very concerned, but you know, she humored me and she said, fine, I'll refer you to a neurologist. And what she did was she told me that the neurology department at the hospital where we were at was very backed up and it would probably be months before we could be seen. So she was going to refer me to this other hospital, which was an hour away from where we lived. Mm. And I said, that was fine. The referral went through and this other hospital, it just really kept on giving me the runaround. I kept on calling and trying to make sure that this appointment got made and it never happened. Mm. One thing or another would get, you know, something wasn't filed correctly. Someone didn't send something, you know, this or that or the other. And um, almost a month went by and we still hadn't even made an appointment for her. Mm. So I was getting pretty frustrated with this other hospital. And in the meantime, over that month, Gracie, she not only didn't make any progress, she started regressing, Mm. which really had me worried. She stopped rolling over. She stopped smiling. She stopped laughing. And that really had me concerned, which was making me more and more frustrated with this other hospital that we weren't getting an appointment. But then one day towards the end of November, she started doing this really strange arm motion where both of her arms would just shoot up above her head. Like they'd just shoot up and stay there for a few seconds. And then they'd come back down. And if you looked at her face when she did it, you could tell she herself was surprised Mm -hmm. by this and upset by it. And then it would happen again, like 10 seconds later. Like, so in rapid succession, over and over and over again, her arms would just keep shooting up. And I just kept on looking at her. I was like, why is she doing that? What is that? What's going on? And I had a really weird feeling in my gut of just something is off. I don't know what it is, but something's off. And I showed it to my husband and he said, oh, she's probably just being her quirky self. I'm not too concerned about it, but I still had this feeling in my gut. So I took her next door. My mom happens to live next door to us. And so I took her next door to see my mom when she got home from work that day and she had started doing it again and I showed it to her and my mom said, no, that's not normal. Babies shouldn't be doing that. Something's very wrong. And I think I just needed one other person to say that you're not crazy. Something's up here. Mm -hmm. And so I grabbed my daughter. I grabbed my husband. I said, we're going to the emergency room right now. And so we got in the car. I didn't even put her in the car seat because her arms kept on shooting Mm -hmm. up. I just held her the entire, we probably could have gotten arrested driving to the hospital Mm -hmm. the way that we did, but we were speeding and the baby was not in the car seat, but we got to the hospital. We took her in there and we were there for like five, maybe six hours. The emergency room doctors took a chest x-ray, they did blood panels, and they didn't find anything. (laughs) And they told us that she was being fussy, and they sent us home. 
And this was after showing them, you know, what she was doing, showing them a video of this cry that she had, which I knew was not her normal cry. And they said, we couldn't find anything. She's being fussy, go home. And I think, I think in that moment, I wanted to believe that that was the case. I wanted to believe that my little girl was okay and that I was overreacting. She was just being fussy and she'd be fine by morning. I wanted to believe that. So when the doctors told me that, I took it as, okay, Colleen, you're being overreactive. Just go home and sleep. It'll be okay. And we did. And the next day, I started texting a couple of girlfriends of mine just telling them, oh, we went to the ER last night, you know, just chatting up what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I started describing these arm motions that Gracie was doing. One of my friends sent me this video of another baby doing these exact same arm motions. Mm. And the baby in that video had something called infantile spasms. I had never heard of that, didn't know what it was, but it just didn't even sound good. So I got on Google, did a five minute Google search, and I found out enough to know that it was a very rare and dangerous form of epilepsy and it needs to get diagnosed immediately and it needs to be treated aggressively. And there's very extreme consequences of it if left unchecked. So finding that out, Hmm. I got on the phone with her pediatrician right away. And I said that I think my daughter is having infantile spasms. She needs an EEG today. And that's how you diagnose it. That's the test to diagnose it is an EEG. Because basically what's happening, what infantile spasms is, is your baby is basically having hundreds of seizures, hundreds of little Mm. seizures, seconds apart in clusters of up to hundreds at a time. It's very damaging to their brains and it can have long lasting cognitive and developmental delay effects on your child. And everything about it I was finding out was, you know, scary. So I got on the phone and I said, I think she's having infantile spasms. She needs an EEG today. The lady at the office at the pediatrician's office said, uh, well, okay, we see that you've already got a referral to a neurologist on file. Why don't you just, you know, wait for your appointment with the other hospital? And I said, no, they've been giving me the runaround for the last month. We're not going to that other hospital. She needs an EEG today. And they put me on hold. Mm. <laughs> and then they came back in a minute and then they said, okay, well, if you want to get seen by the neurology department here, the earliest we can see you is in a month. And I said, darling, I hear what you're saying and I understand what you are saying, but I need you to hear and understand me. My daughter needs an EEG today. And they put me on hold again. (laughs) Then they came back in a little bit and they said, okay, Ms. Fall, we can schedule you for an emergency EEG tomorrow. Is that okay? And I said, okay, we'll wait until tomorrow. So we had about 24 hours to wait. Mm. And I used that time to look up everything I possibly could on Google of what infantile spasms was. Like I said, literally everything about it was scary. And I just kept on praying, dear God, please let me be wrong. Let this not be what this is. Let this not be happening to my daughter. But we went to the hospital. We went for her appointment. They hooked her up to the EEG. And within two minutes of being hooked up, the EEG technician, because the neurologist was not in the room, he was somewhere else. The technician starts getting on her phone and texting like crazy. She's got a very concerned look on her face. Mm. And I ask her, is, you know, is everything okay? And she tells me, I'm not supposed to tell you this because I'm not a neurologist and I'm not qualified to make a diagnosis. But I know that if this was my daughter, I would want to know your daughter has infantile spasms. Mm. And I just was just like, Boulder fell down on top of me of just like, oh, all my worst fears coming true. 
so they immediately admitted us to the emergency room again, and we ended up staying for like three days. And the neurologist ordered like a hundred tests, a bunch of different things, blood draws, EEGs and MRI, spinal blood, all kinds of things. And it was in doing an MRI of her brain that they came back and said, your daughter's brain MRI results do not look typical. We don't think it's just infantile spasms. We think your daughter has a genetic disorder called tuberous sclerosis complex. Mm. And again, I, I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of that before. So I got on Google <laughs> and uh, looked it up. And it turns out that what that is, it's an even more rare genetic disorder. Basically, there's a mutation on my daughter's DNA at part of the gene that is responsible for regulating cellular growth and it's got a mutation and it's malfunctioning. So what that results in is random growths of cells all over her body, mm -hmm. in her vital organs, in her brain, on her skin, in her eyes, they can be anywhere, literally anywhere. And they're benign, non-cancerous tubers, so the tubers in and of themselves are not dangerous, but depending on where they show up, mm -hmm. how many of them show up, and how big they are, they can cause very serious health complications. So I'm finding all this out. All of this is so, so scary. At that time, I think the best way to describe what that was like as a parent, finding out that your daughter has these conditions now and this whole new life situation that was a shock to us, the best way to describe that was, well, first it was just shock. And then it was grief, I think, mm. because an effect of both of these conditions is developmental delay and cognitive mental retardation and all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things that basically meant that all of a sudden, all these things that most other parents just kind of assume and presume that their kids are going to be able to do, that their babies are going to be able to grow up to do, we couldn't take for granted anymore. We honestly didn't know if she was ever going to learn to walk or to talk or to eat by herself. We didn't know if she'd ever be able to function on her own as an adult. We didn't know any of that. And we couldn't assume that it would happen mm -hmm. because those are not givens with these conditions, with just one of them, let alone both of them being in play here. It was extremely scary, just being overwhelmed just generally. But then also, like I said, there's a grief there because all of a sudden the life and the hopes and the dreams that we thought we were going to have that I thought my daughter was going to have hmm. was suddenly gone. And so it's grieving, not necessarily grieving a death, but grieving a life that we didn't get to live. Mm -hmm. And this is just where my brain went. I found out that tuberous sclerosis complex is autosomal dominant which means that any child that my daughter would have would have a 50-50% chance mm. of passing that gene on to her child, which is a really high risk. Yeah. And there's a broad range of affectedness in this. So she could have a child who has a case that is much more mild than her or a much more severe case. So it's just, it's very, very risky. And so all of a sudden I started questioning, this is just where my heart went. I'm probably never going to get to have grandchildren by her. And so I'm grieving the grandchildren that I will never get to have. Mm -hmm. And there was just a lot of grieving going on. So it was a shock and it was very, very scary. So you asked earlier about why I would say blessed with special needs. 
I would say at first it didn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. At first, my perspective was fear, feeling like something had been taken from my daughter and from me and not knowing what was coming, fear of the unknown. And I was just, I'm a very faithful person. So I turned to my prayer life and turned to God and started having some very honest conversations <laughs> with God <laughs> about basically what the heck mm -hmm. and why is this happening? I didn't want this for her. Please don't let this be the case. I was praying for a miracle. That's what it was. I was praying for a miracle. I don't want these conditions to be a part of her life. That was the perspective right off the get-go. And then God kind of just let me sit in that mm. for a while. He kind of just let me sit in that because I knew that God is good. I knew that he provides and that he is loving and that he has a plan and that plan is better than mine. Like I know all of this stuff in my head, but this was without a doubt the most extensive occasion in my life where I had been called to actually live out that walk by faith, not by sight scenario in my life of just give this to God, surrender this to God. It took me a while to like wanting to, but not being able to just open my hands and let God take this mm. and, you know, genuinely trying, wanting to like, you know, God, I want to trust you. I want to trust in your will and not mine, but I don't want this for her. My will is so strong that I just don't want this for her. It was in that, it was in that dark space of just, I felt like I was just in a cloud all the time. And I probably was, you know, on a clinical level, kind of depressed for you know a good month or two on some level. I probably could have used medicine or something, but I just prayed through it all. I just prayed through it and spent a lot of time at church and just having those conversations. But after a couple of months of just being there and grieving and just being in that space of just trying to say, God, I want to want what you want for me. Mm. That's all I've got is I want to want what you want for me. But what I want is for my daughter to be healed. Mm. And that's not what you have willed. So I know there's a disconnect there. So help me get there. Mm -hmm. That was kind of where my prayer was. Literally in the middle of the night one night, I just got inspired to write a children's book. The book ended up being all about basically our story. Like I got up in the middle of the night and just started typing like crazy. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the whole first draft and it was a children's book. So it's not like a novel. It, it, it was, <laughs> I was able to do it in one night uh. after a few hours. I went back and read it the next morning and it was like someone else had written it because mm. I wasn't thinking any of the things in this book that I had written down. I remembered writing it down, but I don't remember coming up with it. And basically what the book was, it was our story. It was a story of a mom and a dad who find out that their daughter is going to be a very special child and is going to have needs that most other kids don't have. The parents are really worried when they hear about this. And so they take it to prayer. And in the book, Jesus comes and talks to the parents. I think God inspired me to write this book as an answer to my own prayer. The questions and the concerns that the parents have in the book and on the page are my exact fears and words and prayers. And Jesus answers me or answers the parents in the book. And the parents are praying, God, please fix my baby. Just please fix our baby. And Jesus answers and says, fix your baby. But she's already exactly the way I chose to create her. There's a dialogue between the parents and Jesus and their parents are like, you know, but the doctors say there's something wrong with her. And Jesus goes, you know, lovingly, patiently, but very clearly, my children, do you think I make mistakes? Mm -hmm. 
I have always known that this little girl was going to be yours. And I have given her exactly to you, not as a mistake, not as a punishment, but as a gift. <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here. This child that I've given you is already so incredibly loved by me. I love her even more than you do. I love her more than you could possibly imagine. And I gave her specifically to you because I love her and I love you. And this child is going to be an avenue of my grace to you. And she is going to be your path to heaven. By caring for her, you will be caring for me, the least of these. And that is going to be the path I have created specifically for you to reach heaven by caring for my precious child who I've given to you as a gift. And the parents, you know, they're still concerned and, and they're wondering, like, you know, do I even have what it takes to take care of her? And he calms their fears and he says, listen, I have known she was going to be yours since before you were born. I have been preparing you for this child your entire life. And I have given you the graces that you need. And I am here with you through every step of the way. You are never alone. And I love you too, because you're my children too. And it's this very... I feel like a very real conversation in the context of a children's book that is somehow relatable just as much for the children as it is for the parents. I think in the end, it's a children's book, but I wrote it just as much for the parents as for the kids. Mm -hmm. At the end of the book, the parents are able to look down at their baby girl as she's sleeping and say, you really are a precious gift from God. You're a gift. And all of her is a gift, every aspect of her condition. And she's a gift, not in spite of her condition, but because of it. I don't know where the inspiration for that came from, if it didn't come from God, because it certainly didn't come from me. Mm -hmm. I read it the next morning after writing the first draft and I just cried. I showed mm -hmm. it to my husband and he cried. And my mom, both my parents just cried. It was very near and dear to all of our hearts. And over the next couple of months began a conversation of, you should publish this. But just in the process of writing the book, it was very healing for me. Mm -hmm. It was a very, very healing process. And it helped me come to understand and to accept the will that God had for my life and for my daughter's life. Also, what time has allowed for me is that I've been able to see my daughter grow. Mm. I've gotten through that initial shock of all of this is new and what I thought was going to happen before isn't the case anymore. There's this shock factor. But as time went on, that shock factor wore off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was able to see my daughter is still my daughter. And I still like, I mean, there was never a question of did I love her? If, if anything, this only made me love her more. Every bit of this only made me love her more. But there is still beauty and excitement and victory and joy at seeing her grow, even though it's not at the pace of a normal toddler, even though it's not what people would call typical. She's on her own journey. Mm -hmm. It's like that perspective of, the smallest things become the hugest celebrations. And there's so much joy to be found mm -hmm. in being the parent of a child with a disability. There's so much joy and so much grace to be found in this life that we get to live. And at first, all I saw was the stuff that she wasn't going to get to have or get to do. I couldn't even fathom the stuff that she would get to do or the joy that she would bring to others just by being herself. Mm -hmm. And that has been so healing too, just to see my daughter grow. She's a delight. She's a gift of grace. Her name is Grace. She's a gift of grace. Mm. So that's my story, basically. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, I really appreciate you sharing that and being open and honest about it, about not just the wonderful parts, but the hard parts, mm-hmm. the challenging parts, the confusing parts, because that's the story, mm-hmm. right? Like we like to jump right to the end. But if somebody did a broad sweep and said that phrase, mm-hmm. blessed with special needs, like somebody could say to you at the very start of that story, oh, no, no, but she's going to be blessed with special needs. It's going to be a blessing. <laughs> it would be hard for you to internalize that. Yeah. So like you described this very real experience of grieving mm-hmm. the loss of the life that could have been. Mm-hmm. And I think what's beautiful is it made me think of a number of things. But one of those was when Jesus wept with Mary and Martha when they were grieving the loss of Lazarus, mm-hmm. right? And it's this idea that Jesus knew what would be, what could be. Mm-hmm. He knew the power of prayer. And yet he also knew the importance of sitting in that space of grief. Mm-hmm. He knew what needed to happen in Mary and Martha's hearts because he could have healed Lazarus from afar. He had healed other people from afar. Mm-hmm. Not only did he choose to not heal from afar, he chose to not even go <laughs> for several more days. Yeah. Because I think there was something that Jesus knew they needed as they sat in that space. And you even mentioned that. You said, God let you sit in that. He did. He did. And there is something so powerful about that because I think part of the journey is as we sit in that, mm-hmm. we learn how to release. We learn how to let go. We learn how to trust. We learn how to see differently. Mm-hmm. And so Rather than it being what we hope it will be, somebody just tells us, oh, think this way. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll think that way. It's you come to realize, no, actually, in my humanity, I didn't want to think that way. Mm -hmm. Or I wouldn't have thought I could think that way. But by the grace of God and his provision, here I am now, and I'm able to see things differently. Mm -hmm. And what I love about your story, too, is the origin story of your children's story is really beautiful. right? Like (laughs) You woke up and you're like, I know I wrote this. But I don't know where these thoughts came from. Because I definitely was not thinking this stuff. And it's beautiful because it's like God gave you this really unique gift, Mm -hmm. a unique way of speaking to you because he was also trying to speak to your husband and also trying to speak to your parents and Mm -hmm. also trying to speak to every person who is now purchasing that book because you're not alone Mm -hmm. in that journey of something is wrong with my child or the doctors are saying something is wrong with my child and I don't know what to do now. They're hearing this message of Jesus saying, why are you saying something's wrong? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I know what I'm doing, (laughs) but it's a huge shift, right? It is. Because again, that grieving of loss of life, like the reality is there is a reality that doesn't exist. That couldn't exist barring a supernatural miracle, which can happen, but often Mm -hmm. God chooses not to do that. Uh Meanwhile, (laughs) there's this abundantly more than we could ask or imagine that also could exist Mm -hmm. if we would just release our death grip (laughs) on what we want to be. Oh, man. And it really was an eye opener. I'm only speaking for myself here, but I know that I had no idea how attached I was to these hopes and dreams that my daughter's future that I didn't even realize I had that were just kind of sitting around in my subconscious, I guess. But I didn't even realize that decades from now, I want grandkids. And that's really important Mm. to me. I didn't even realize that I want her to be able to get married one day. I want her to be able to, you know, have a job and have a choice of does she want to stay at home? Does she want to work? Like I want her to be able to decide that one day. I wanted her to have a normal life. And I didn't realize how attached I was to that. Mm. And so it was really eye-opening of we need to let go of our earthly attachments in order to be able to enter heaven 
we need to let go of what we're clinging to on earth. And I didn't realize how much I was clinging to. Mm. And so it was a really big eye opener. And it was a pruning, I think mm -hmm. would be a good word for it. It was a very powerful pruning process for me of just letting me know these things that I'm hanging on to this, but you need to let go of it. If you want to be more mine mm -hmm. saying, Jesus, if you want to belong to me, you have to let go of this stuff. I didn't even know I was holding on to it. That mm -hmm. was a hard process, but a good process. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, hindsight 2020, it was good that I was able to go through that, but it was no fun going through yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's something else that you said that speaks to that. And I think is really powerful. And it's when you said to God, I want to want what you want, but I want what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this yes. really honest owning of yeah. God, I want to understand and seek you and follow you and release to you. But I also, it's really hard for me to let go of these things. Mm -hmm. And it's reminiscent of when somebody in scripture says, Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yes. Or the apostle Paul says, I don't understand what I do because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, yes. I do. Yes, yes, yes. And so what you're really speaking to is this reality that, again, somebody could say to you, well, Colleen, just let go of those things. <laughs> and we want to believe that we'll be like, oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Boom, release. But the reality is, is that it's not a quick and easy fix like that. Yeah. It's a choice to step in even when we don't know how or we don't have the capacity. Mm -hmm. And so how would you speak to somebody that's in that place of saying, I want to get to the place where I want to want what God wants, but right now I want what I want. How do you step into that space even if you don't know you have the capacity? Well, first of all, ask for the grace to do it because nothing is impossible for God mm -hmm. and we can do nothing without him anyway. So ask for the grace to do it. But also... I like the way you said that people would think it would be easy to just let go of things. But that gives the image of this being something that you have to only do once. Mm -hmm. Instead of just this one action that you have to do, instead, I think a better image to have in your head is this is a skill you need to learn. Yeah. This is something you need to do over and over and over again until you grow in that virtue of being docile to the will of God. And it's something that you have to practice and it's something you have to do until you get good at. If you're just starting out and that skill is not something that you're good at yet, that's okay. Keep trying. Like it's not a bad thing that you're struggling. God is in the struggle and you are being brought closer to him in that struggle. That's all good. It's okay. Yeah, it's not a let go once and one and done kind of thing. It's something you have to do every day multiple times a day, mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. every hour, every minute, because I know I can speak from personal experience. Those old desires kept on creeping back in of, oh, I still want this for her, like over and over again. And I'd have to wrestle with them every single day. Mm -hmm. And I still wrestle with them. It's not until I get really good at running to Christ and clinging to the cross he gave to me clinging to him and he will carry me as I carry my cross. Mm -hmm. But getting good at that is not something that someone should assume would be easy. Yeah. And I think your reminder is an important one that it isn't a one-time decision and you're good, you're done. Mm -hmm. It is a skill. It is a mindset. It is a theology mm -hmm. yes. that we choose to operate by because the hard truth is your child is going to continue to hit these age mile markers mm -hmm. and be at a playground with kids of the same age. And your humanity is going to be like, oh, man, <laughs> my child can't do that. Or, yeah. oh, man, those kids are able to go over here and, and, and she's, she's not able to yet. And and I think it's good to own 
that that will be hard. Mm -hmm. In this world, you will have trouble, right? Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus said. I imagine a part of that was his recognition that we're going to constantly see things and say, ah, I wish it was this other way, Mm -hmm. or I wish I could have that. But because I want to follow Jesus, I'm having to release that. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus wants us to know that he sees that. He understands that. He walked that. Yes, he did. The Garden of Gethsemane, he knows a little bit about what it means to step into something hard. Uh But yet he extends this grace and this love and this capacity. I mean, he'll even write children's books for us (laughs) if that's what we need in our life. Uh And all he's inviting us to is to be willing to say, here we are, and to step in, and then to take another step, and to take another step, and Mm -hmm. to take another step. And and I love the fact that you've reiterated over and over, and we, we even said at the start, you know, blessed with special needs. You've mm-hmm. reiterated the truth that when you're willing to do that, suddenly you will see things that you wouldn't have seen before. Mm-hmm. You'll appreciate things that you wouldn't appreciate it before. These mm-hmm. little teeny victories that yeah. loads of other parents don't even think about. Mm-hmm. You're able to experience joy from them. Yes. Oh, my goodness. She was rolled over again. Oh, my goodness. She's saying these words. Oh, my goodness. She's, oh, my goodness. She's. Every little thing is, it's not a little thing. It's huge. And there's so much excitement that comes from it. And I think what you said just kind of reminded me of those with the eyes to see, will see. Those with the ears to hear, will mm-hmm. hear. And not everyone has them. Yeah. You, not everyone is called to be a special needs parent or to have that perspective. And when you are called to it quite often, it is a surprise. Yeah. You, it's a journey. Yeah. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And it's a process. And it's God reshaping us into the image of him. It's kind of like, you know, he's taking you as a block of marble and chiseling you into his image. But chiseling is not easy. Yeah. And it's time consuming and it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But at the end, you're a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. If you can come through it. Yeah. And though not everyone will be called by God to be a parent of a child that's navigating a life with special needs, mm-hmm. I will say that all of us are called to see others as made in the image of God, yeah. to love our neighbors, to mm-hmm. love others. And I think that has been a struggle for us around special needs. Mm-hmm. Many people don't seek to understand, right? Many people will try to avoid because it's, it's hard. Yes. It's confusing. It's difficult. And for a lot of people, they will only engage that space if forced to, either because they're navigating it with their own child or within their own family. Or for me, and this is the reason I was so excited about this conversation, our closest friends Mm -hmm. a number of years ago, when they were pregnant, learned that their child would have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so they began their journey during pregnancy (laughs) of, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And what do we do? And how do we navigate this? And what does this mean for life? But they have also arrived at place that you've arrived of recognizing the gift and the blessing and Mm -hmm. seeing all of this in a different light to the point where one of them is now the executive director of the Down Syndrome Association in our state. Oh, that's awesome. And that wouldn't have been a path that she would have ever foreseen. But her understanding of Down Syndrome Mm -hmm. and her understanding of how God can do beautiful things for all involved in that space Mm -hmm. has positioned her there. And And I'll let them tell their story if they ever want to share it. But I think for me, because of our friendship, now I am having to navigate this. Uh And admittedly, I'd only kind of lightly touched into the idea of special needs and Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. But now I've been given the opportunity to press in more, right? Well, 
Let's say somebody's listening who is in the space that you were in. Maybe they just got back from the doctor and they just learned that their child is navigating something. If you could say something to them now, what would you want to say? I would say, oh gosh, there's quite a few things I would say. First though, before I did anything, I think I'd just sit down and I'd just listen Hmm. because at least speaking for myself, I didn't have anyone in my immediate community when we were finding out about Gracie who was in any kind of a similar situation. We didn't have any other special needs kids or family members in our family Mm -hmm. who could relate. So to have someone else who gets it, who can just sit there and listen non-judgmentally and be able to relate to what you are saying, that is a game changer. Mm -hmm. That would be huge. So first I would just listen and just tell me everything. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me where you're at. And I'm here with you. That would be the first thing. But then after that, I would tell them that they're not crazy. Mm. I'm speaking purely from my own experience here, but I know that this happens to more than just me. It's so often that you notice something about your child and it kind of sets off alarm bells and it makes you worry and you show it to someone else and it gets dismissed and it's kind of brushed off and it says, oh, that's nothing to worry about. And it's very easy to convince yourself that everyone else is looking at the exact same thing I am and they're not seeing what I'm seeing. So I must be crazy. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, you're not. God has given you as the parents a very special and unique grace to care and to be the caretaker of your child, to be the expert on your child and to see things that no one else can see. Mm. The reality is not that you're seeing things that aren't there. The reality is that you are the only one who can see those things because it is your task as a parent and therefore you have the graces that no one else has to notice things and to see things for your child. So I would say to trust your instincts, you're not crazy. I'd tell them that they're doing a fantastic job You need so much encouragement in that situation. And the fact that they've gotten their child seen about getting them care, getting them treatment, getting them diagnosed, that they're doing what they have to do to make sure that their child is cared for. They're doing a fantastic job and it is a Herculean feat and they should be proud of themselves. And they have a right to feel every single thing that comes their way, except for guilt. Hmm. That is the one thing they do not have a right to. But it's a grieving process. There's a lot of emotions that are going to come through it. You're going to go through confusion, anger, bargaining, you know, all those stages of grief. And that's okay. And that is good. And that is part of the process. And it's all right. But I would advise them strongly not to play the what if game. What if I had seen this or known what this was earlier? Mm -hmm. Or if I had acted with more zeal sooner? Don't blame yourself for seeing things with an untrained eye when you have an untrained eye. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. God's timing in all of it. The one thing you do not have a right to is guilt. You do have a right to every other emotion that comes though and process it and that's okay. And it's actually good. It's important that you do process it because if you don't, that will stunt your emotional abilities, which is going to affect your ability to care for your child and your child needs the best of you. Mm. Your child needs all of you. So for the sake of your child, care for yourself by letting yourself completely go through the process. It's kind of like the rule on the airplane where you have to put on your own mask before you put on someone else's. Mm -hmm. So take care of yourself 
let yourself go through the grieving process that naturally comes and that's okay. Finally, I would probably say find community. This is not something that is meant to be carried alone. Find someone who can be in it with you. I would suggest just as a practical step towards that, if there's no one in your immediate community who you can relate to, try to find first a Facebook group. And those Facebook groups are good for if you have questions, Mm -hmm. but they're not good for the, you know, let's all get together and share what's going on kind of thing, that aspect of it. However, they are a hub of where all these other parents are who are going through the same thing and just message one of them. Mm-hmm. message somebody and find somebody that you can talk to who is in a similar state as you, who's preferably a little bit further down the road than you are, but who can walk with you. Mm-hmm. Find at least one other person to be in this with you so that you are not alone. You're not meant to be alone. Yeah, it's really good. Now, if somebody wanted to read your book mm-hmm. or connect with you or what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? So I have a website, godspreciousgift.com. And on there, there's all kinds of information about me, about my daughter, and you can buy my book from there. The book is also available on Amazon. But on my website, there's a place where kind of just this grassroots movement of this book naturally bringing me into contact with so many other parents Mm -hmm. with children with special needs. I have had the privilege of being in a position to kind of walk with several other parents whose kids are just getting diagnosed who are in this. Mm. And I've had the privilege of walking with them through it, just like I described, find somebody. And so if you are in that position, you can fill out a little message to me and I'll try to get in touch with you. Mm. And if you need mentorship in that sense, I'm there. You can also find me on Facebook. My daughter has a Facebook page. It's called Grace's TSC Journey which I put up all kinds of information about my daughter and her progress and her journey. And I've got an author page, Colleen Keefall author is what it is. So that's a mouthful, but yeah. (laughs) So I've got two Facebook pages and a website, basically. Nice. (laughs) And as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting in your heart that you feel led to share? I really hope that at least one person who hears this podcast, that it really touches your heart, that it's something that you needed to hear. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of things that I've said in this podcast that I wasn't thinking to say earlier. So I hope that that's God speaking to somebody out there. Mm -hmm. I'll be praying for you. And I'm asking that y'all pray for me and for my daughter and my whole family as we journey together. want to admit it or not, we attribute a high level of value to what we and others can produce. And if we or others can't produce in the way that's assumed, something is wrong and the value is diminished. But the truth is, God doesn't see as we see. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, the internal, something deeper. And our faulty mindsets are why seasons of suffering can be so difficult. Because we think of all the things that we believe we deserve and that should be, and when they aren't there, something is wrong. Yesterday, a good friend of mine, Aisha, asked God if he had a word for me, and the Spirit gave her something from Habakkuk 3, which captures the prayer of Habakkuk about a season of suffering and how God was powerful in the midst. And the last section is what really stood out to me, starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. As I think about this passage, I think of our tendency to long for productivity and outcomes. We want the fig trees of our lives to bud. We want there to be grapes on the vines. We want the olive crop to succeed. We want the fields to produce food. We want there to be sheep and cattle in the stalls. And when it seems like our life isn't producing what we long for it to, we can stumble. And Colleen found herself in the same place as she looked at the child that she loved and saw the significant developmental delays. My child should be doing this, but isn't. My child should be doing that, but is struggling. My child was rolling, but now she isn't anymore. Yet what this passage does is acknowledge that these moments will happen. And then we get verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. God acknowledges that there are moments when life feels fruitless and wrong. And yet, somehow we can still rejoice in him. Somehow we can still be joyful. Part of this is because God is deserving of that glory. But the other part is something that God chooses to do, which we see in verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This means that we can not only rejoice and be joyful in God, even if things are going wrong around us, but God can actually equip us to go above and beyond where we might have thought we could get. When Colleen got diagnosis after diagnosis for grace, her initial response was to think of the future that was lost. And then Jesus met her one night and spoke words that told her that she and her daughter were going to climb higher than they ever thought they could. That Colleen's understanding of ability for her, for her daughter, was incomplete because God was going to be able to do abundantly more than she could ask or imagine, regardless of what the world expected of her or her daughter. The life she's living now is not what she would have expected, but it is one in which she could say, regardless of how things aren't going the way that I had hoped, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And I wanna say this directly to you listening. If you feel like the crops of your life are failing and the pens are empty, I want you to know that God is aware of your situation. And he may want you to know that you're not limited, but blessed. And like Colleen said, coming to understand and trust that blessing is a journey in and of itself. But I do believe you will get to that same place of being able to rejoice and be joyful because God longs to enable you to tread on the heights, places you never thought of climbing and wouldn't know how if you had because God wants abundantly more for you as well. You matter to God. He sees you, and he is with you no matter what hardships life has thrown at you. And the start of that journey right now might be as simple as saying, God, all I see is brokenness and limitations. Help me to see how I might actually be blessed. And then watch and listen, because just as God was with Habakkuk, he is with you. So pray that and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? 
Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible. Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?